and welcome to Growth Masterminds. This is a special episode of Growth Masterminds for two reasons. The first reason is that Google just dropped its massive privacy changes on Android. And the second is that this wasn't specifically recorded for Growth Masterminds. It's actually a LinkedIn Live that I did with the CEO of Singular, Gadi Eliashev. My name is John Gutsir. Enjoy the show. So look, we all know what's going on. Google just dropped its massive, big privacy changes. It's privacy sandbox for Android. It's the Google ad ID, D, ad ID deprecation. We all expected it. It's finally happening. Uh, first impressions, you know, I looked at it pretty positive. I've heard people say privacy that doesn't suck. There's four related technologies here. There's topics for targeting. There's Fledge for retargeting. There's attribution reporting for privacy safe marketing measurement. And there's the SDK runtime, a firewalled section for ad tech SDKs and maybe other SDKs over time. We're going to do a high level overview. Now we're going to focus mostly on attribution because guess what? That's kind of what Singular does and that's kind of what Gaudi lives and breathes. My name is John Kutsir. We're here with Gaudi Eliashev. As I've mentioned, Gaudi kicks off here. What's your initial reaction? I guess um, the first reaction was like, huh, that's actually pretty good, uh, which was surprising because, you know, I guess we've had um, we've had experiences in the past uh, where, um, you know, when we first saw the iteration of SK Ed Network uh, version 1.0 coming in. Um, it was sort of a shock of like, oh, my God, that's way too basic to be functional. And thankfully, you know, Apple iterated from that. But it seems like this time. And maybe it's previous battle scars that Google had doing the same stuff on the web. This felt very thoughtful and also pretty good. I, I thought so too. I mean, and it's not that shocking, right? I mean, Google knows ad tech. I mean, <laughs> Google is probably the world's biggest ad network, right? Maybe let's start here. Um, what's the biggest change that you see? Yeah, I guess... Um, when you think of the privacy sandbox uh, proposal that Google made, um, this is something that originally started on the web and they have expanded to Android. And their job in this proposal is to address common uh, workflows, um, almost it seems primarily focused on advertising and advertising related activities at this point, because you know, first of all, it's kind of driving the industry and, and it's 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 uh, fundamental to um, a lot of the app ecosystem. And, and also it intersects with privacy. So that's an area they chose to focus on. And they basically introduced a, free, a few solutions to try and address um, areas where um, you need to solve for privacy, but you still want to make things functional. And it seems like right from the get-go, they announced their intention to eventually deprecate this persistent identifier that um, every company used up until now called GAID. It's sort of the equivalent to the IDFA in the iOS ecosystem. So that's the first thing they do is they announce, hey, we eventually want to deprecate that, but here's how we're not going to break the internet. <laughs> and they basically propose... <laughs> four topics uh, that we can probably dive into, but one of them was topics for, um, it's a topic, but one of them is topics. That's a proposal for um, basically 
uh, gathering interest uh, of people across apps and then having that available for targeting by ad networks. They have a solution called Fledge, which is basically a retargeting tool. Uh, they have a solution for attribution reporting, which uh, we, you know, we've, we, we did a deep dive on in a blog post. And they also released this really cool uh, concept called SDK Runtime, where they try to isolate and separate SDKs um, to better you know, defend, I guess, the privacy, the developer. And it's even useful for the SDK developer, to be honest. Interesting one. We'll dive into that a little bit as well. I mean, it's kind of it's a it's a, it's it's a rethinking, right? Because uh, SDK manufacturers and providers have always just hey, app publishers will give it right to them. They incorporate it. They have to get their app submitted, approved. Now SDK providers are going to get their SDKs submitted and approved as well. What's that look like? How's that feel? It should be easier for developers and publishers because they can just link to the ones that are approved and you, they can actually link to versions as well. So there's a lot going on there. I guess maybe let's, um, let's ask this question because when ATT happened, when iOS 14.5 dropped, it was a bomb. It really was a bomb. The, the industry was not prepared. Um, people saw their CPI spike to 5x, literally 5x what they were before. They didn't know how to value traffic. They didn't know what they were actually paying, all that stuff. We've largely gone past that on ATT. Modeling has come in. There's lots of stuff that's been built there. Do you foresee similar disruption when uh, privacy sandbox enters for Android, is the sky gonna fall again? Um, so I, I, I'd like to say uh, that I think it's gonna be a very different experience. Um, I mean, first of all, as soon as uh, Google released this proposal, that's how they called it. They said, hey, this is a proposal and um, we're gonna make changes. And we're going to give it a two-year timeline, which is amazing. And, and if you think of what they've done on the web, this two years could turn into three, right? But the fact that they came out and they said, hey, this is a proposal. It's going to take a few years. And we'd like to work with the various constituents in the ecosystem. We'd like to get your feedback. Um, it, it, it basically by itself would probably eliminate any shock or surprise. And there'll be a gradual deployment and I think it was very different from ATT, where it was sort of announced. Maybe, you know, it's kind of an Apple way, right? You wait for WWDC or wait for their events and, and you get this new thing and then there's a date and it happens. Um, but, but, but that was very rough. And, and even Apple, which is, I guess, unknown to shift release dates, shifted the release date of ATT and actually pushed it out to iOS 14.5 as opposed to iOS 14. So um, I think, yes, there was a lot of shock in ATT. And my educated, I don't know if it's a guess, it's a conclusion based on what I'm seeing, is that there should not be the same shock here. We have plenty of time to prepare. And also, the, as I said, the, the, the document itself is pretty good. Like, it gives a lot of capability. So I don't expect CPIs to explode. I don't expect the sky to fall. I think Google has an interest to keep the ecosystem running while preserving privacy. And I think that it, what they are showing is a really good example of a, a you know, well thought out approach of achieving both. 
I, I just had a flashback to when 14.5 dropped and what was going on in the industry. And you mentioned Apple doesn't shift dates very frequently, <laughs> not easily either. And I was just wondering what would have happened if they had gone ahead with iOS 14 and just launched at that point. I, I don't even want to think about that. Okay, let's get pretty deep into, I guess, what's probably nearest and dearest to your heart, which is attribution. Um, it's the core of what Singular does. There's some fairly significant capabilities here, correct? Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's, it's really nice that Google had spent the time um, thinking about how to build these solutions to be very functional and not just limit the amount of data being exposed, but also make sure marketers could use that. And yeah, you're, what you're showing now is a blog post. So this is um, a blog post that you know, John and I wrote, and it's doing a deeper dive into how it works. So if you want to get all the details, I, you know, I recommend you read this and, and obviously read the Google documentation because that's the source for a lot of that information. Um, but let's start from the top. Basically, for attribution, when you remove GAID, you're essentially um, immediately creating a problem because that is today the common identifier that um, we use to link marketing activities to outcome. Now, I have to actually put a big caveat on that, and we might want to brainstorm on that together a bit, John, but Google also has a mechanism called refer, which is actually very useful and could be used and is being used today by measurement companies like Singular without even necessarily relying on GAID. So that's a separate discussion, but, but basically it's safe to assume that if you remove GAID, you're breaking some measurement workflows and they came in and said hey um we want to offer a solution an, an api that will give you some data that we consider privacy friendly and hopefully marketers will be able to use that and there's essentially two main reports they're providing um, the first one is called event level report and it resembles skn network a bit uh, but it's a lot better. Um, so it, essentially, um, it helps you by enabling some sort of a postback out of the device containing information about what the user did and where they came from, which is kind of what you want to get in every attribution report, right? Like, what did they do? Where did they come from? So we could see ROI. Now, they have limitations on being able to describe what the user did, because if they wouldn't limit you, you would just say, hey, this user is John, right? And there goes yes. privacy. So they- Wearing a red shirt, has black, exactly. Came on at that particular time. Okay, you know, <laughs> triangulated. Exactly. exactly. So, so they say, we're going to limit you. You're only going to get three bits. And that's kind of scary because even SKN Network gives you six bits. You can't do a lot with three bits. I mean, essentially eight options, right? Um, so, um, the, uh, the difference, however, is that with SKN network, you can only use those six bits once and you have to really think carefully when do you, it's almost like you have a gun and you have one bullet. I don't know why I'm drawn to military. Exactly. You're in Texas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you have a shotgun, you only have one round round and you got to choose carefully when do you shoot. And with SK Network, there's a lot of engineering of 
we're not going to report on the install. We're going to wait a bit and collect some signals about the user's quality. And, and then we're going to send that post back. And here Google says, uh, look, I'm going to give you three bits. So it's less than a scan, but you have between two, two or three separate times that you could send these postbacks, like additional postbacks. So probably what would happen is you'd send one off during the install. Maybe you wait a bit to use those bits more wisely, but you'll send one thing during the install. And then you could, I think up to 30 days, send additional two other postbacks. So you probably would wait for your major KPIs to happen. And this is massive because a big debate with SK Ed Network was that you now need a data science team or, well, hopefully you use an MEP like Singer that does a lot of data science for you, but you need to overly engineer what you send in that post back to uh, measure your customers effectively. Like, let's say you are uh, a booking, like hotel booking business. And, you know, some people don't buy within the next 24 hours, right? So you need to find signals for their value, et cetera. Well, Google says, you know what? You could send another post back later. That's fine. And you'll get that post back. So that's one advantage that's massive. The other change on like SK Network is that you basically have unlimited granularity on the upper funnel information on the network parameters, right? So you may remember I said this, this report tells you um, what did the users do and where did they come from? So the what did they do is limited, only three bits and you can send it two, three times, but where did they come from is unlimited. You basically have, I think it's 64 bits or 120, it's massive. You, It's basically at the click ID level or the, it, it means that you could pass information that will map one-to-one -to, -one to an individual campaign, sub-campaign, creative, keyword, um, I don't know, any, any breakdown asset, whatever, any breakdown you can imagine, technically even a, a click ID or a user ID on the, on the app that showed the ad. Now, because there's no GID, it's not that useful. You're not going to build device graphs off that stuff. And you don't know who the user is per se. You know only what they did in three bits. But that by itself builds amazing reports because, um, you know, if you scroll up, John, I think I have an example in the blog. Maybe this is the aggregation piece. I think it's before that. Yeah, here's an example table. Uh, you know, scroll down a bit. Here's like... A, an example, this one, yeah. So you see, you can get like campaign, creative, country uh, breakdowns, cost. You know, this is something you, you need like a solution to aggregate data for and do. But but this is a representation of what a singular customer could get just with that event level report, right? So that's the first data you're going to get from this API. And I um, just double checked, and it is 128 bits. So yeah, I mean, there's a whack load of space. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I mean, basically you could pass a click ID and then the network has a one-to-one -one map between the click ID or impression ID to all the parameters marketers would care about. Um, but you are limited on what the user does, right? So three bids, you've got to figure out how you use them, which is where, you know, a lot of the sophistication in like our solution for SKA network, a lot of the sophistication is the conversion model management. The same applies here, right? So like doing it smartly and, and figuring out when to send that, you know, three bullets that you got in your gun, when do you want to fire them? Um, but what's interesting is that that's not it. You know, mm -hmm. they could have stopped there, but said, no, that's, that's nice, but not good enough. And they built another mechanism, which is really interesting. Uh, and I'll try and explain it simply. They basically 
take all this user level information that you got that so actually let me let me go back for a second and explain that all of this mechanism this api they created is pretty simplistic it basically there's a storage on the device and a lot of this stuff is stored in the device so every time there's a click or an impression is stored in the device and every time there's a conversion event uh, they call it trigger i think that's also stored in the device and then there's this API between you know this app was installed or this conversion event happened and there was a click on an ad for this app and we're going to match it um now the device itself knows all the information it, you know it, it could have shared that if you wanted but that kind of defeats the purpose so what google said is hey we're going to introduce another concept um we're going to send encrypted data off the device to your ad tech platform, which they didn't specify, but it probably is a, an end network, a measurement solution. Like you're going to send it somewhere, but it's encrypted. So it's, it's not that useful. And then that platform would run an aggregation service, which we'll talk about in a second. Let's imagine some server and that platform, let's say Singular, for example, Singular could take this encrypted data that we got from a bunch of devices which is kind of useless when it's encrypted. We could send it to this aggregation service. And this aggregation service will take a lot of user level data that's encrypted. It would decrypt it and aggregate it before it returns the data back to Singular. So then we take a bunch of user level data, we dump it into the service, and then we get an aggregate report. And you as the well, when I say you, the ad network and the measurement provider slash advertiser could control what aggregations are going to take place. So that's another mm -hmm. area where you have a ton. That's also 128 bits. You have a ton of flexibility there. You can encode campaign and creative and keyword and, you know, even things you care about as advertiser, like the age of the user or the gender or whatever you have. That's your first party data. You could build all these aggregations. And then you can have certain metrics that you want to aggregate, like total revenue or how many purchases happen, et cetera. And then you get this aggregator reports. And it's a beautiful, beautiful concept that, you know, it took some more thinking from, from Google, but it really solves um, a lot of problems. And I have to tell you that um, this concept, you could say it's not new. And I remember when our team was thinking about solutions for iOS, we always thought about on-device solutions, but every idea we had for like aggregated on-device data that gets encrypted, et cetera, it always ended with, you know, Apple wouldn't allow it because you need to be the operating system to do that. Because I guess, you know, Google trusts themselves, Apple yep. trusts themselves. But, you know, here they've gone the extra mile and they said, okay, you know what? We'll do that service. It's not that hard for us to do. And, um, and we'll enable you to, build aggregator reports. So you basically got two data sources now from this attribution system with a lot of breakdowns. And, you know, we still need to see examples, but just looking at this, this is why we're very optimistic. This is, this is actually pretty good. It is actually pretty good. And I think the critical thing here, of course, is that the date, the user level data remains on device. The user level data remains largely out of the control of ad tech and advertisers. It goes off to the aggregation server service, which probably runs some Google software that's containerized that ensures that uh, everything that's private stays, needs to be private, stays private. And what comes out of that is 
the information you want, but divorced from user level data. So, but you do know, and then, like you said, you, you mentioned the age thing. Well, you know, do people over the age of 65 buy more of our product than people under the age of 25 or something like that? And you can learn that in a privacy safe way, sort of like private cloud in some sense. There's still a lot of questions, how that runs, where that runs, how it works exactly. But the good point is that we have a couple of years to ask and get those questions answered. One other thing that has been super disruptive in the iOS ecosystem because of the way that SK Ad Network is implemented and that it doesn't have some of the features and functionality that Privacy Sandbox or Android will have, retargeting died. Um, and so you could not really connect with somebody who used to be a customer, used to be a user, used to have your app, other things like that. You didn't have the ability to pass that audience to somebody else and market to that. That's coming. That's that's remaining on Android with Fledge. Talk about that briefly. Yeah, I think um, that's another benefit of you know Google having gone through the same thing on the web. Basically, how do we kill? third-party cookies without killing the internet <laughs> and trying to figure out how do we do the same on Android? How can we enable retargeting, which is a, it's a necessary use case. And it's one of the main pillars of this privacy sandbox. Um, how do we enable retargeting while still keeping it private? And it's very interesting. They basically expanded this on-device storage and said, hey, um, applications would be able to register users into audiences. So imagine um, you want to retarget everybody that added something to cart but didn't check out. Historically, what would happen is you'd have a database of GIDs on your server, and you'd know these are the people that made the checkout event, uh, sorry, add the cart but never made the checkout event. You'd build an audience, um, and then you'd send it to Facebook or something for retargeting. Um, in this example, they said, you know what? This is going to remain on device. We don't want to leak that information. So it's going to stay on device. And then when ad networks are showing ads, they will also have a chance of, they basically download to the device a bunch of ads. Some of them are just generic ads that they thought worth targeting for that user. And some of them are retargeting ads. And basically you could add your own logic so that the device itself would decide, hey, um, when I'm about to show an ad, I'm not going to tell the ad network, but I actually know this user is the person we want to retarget. I'm going to show them the retargeting ad. And it's pretty cool. That basically is like decisioning that happens on the device. Um, and you know, I think it's very powerful. And in many cases, even makes more sense on an Android than on, on a browser because you, know, you can close a browser or switch it or whatever. But yes. Android, you got the OS, it's always running in the background. So, you know, it's a really cool concept. And there's now going to be this interesting coordination between, as you know, as an advertiser, you need something to create these audiences on the device. And I, you know, I figure maybe it's probably a value that, you know, Singular and MMPs could, could add because we already sit on the device and process events or maybe some other vendor, but someone need to create these audiences. And then, you want the retargeting firm that chose ads or an end network or whatever to have those ads ready um, and, and preload them to the device so they can be shown when it's necessary. And I assume, you know, it all ties nicely to the measurement framework they have and, and the targeting system they have that we can talk about in a second. So it's a pretty cool concept. It's pretty simple if you think about it. 
Um, yep. But it does offer privacy. And that, yeah. It is a cool concept. It reminds me of a tweet that uh, Eric Soufer had recently he said, you know, there's maybe like a thousand people at Google and Apple who are kind of inventing the way that we actually will fund the development of the internet <laughs> and the app ecosystem for the yeah. next decade or something like that. Right. And, you know, those people have our future in their hands is sort of what he was saying. I'm going to get to a couple other questions, including refer, but we do have a question from somebody in the audience. I'll bring it up right here. And it's from Yuka. And he says, any idea who the aggregated service provide, service operators might be? Are they third-party companies? Are they existing MMPs? I, I think I know the answer here, which is that we don't really know yet, but I would assume that an MMP like Singular would be interested in building this kind of service and offering that inclusive of their other services. Yeah, and obviously my, you know, might be a bit self-serving, but I'll try and give the most um, transparent answer I, I could give. So first of all, these aggregation services, one interesting anecdote about them is um, Google said, hey, you need the service, but we don't want to pay the bill for it. <laughs> so what they proposed is they said, hey, um, different companies can run these services. It needs to be in this trusted environment, probably in the Google Cloud, where it verifies that it runs the Google binaries unchanged. And so someone who is getting paid by the advertiser needs to run this uh, solution and handle all this information and pass the data um, into the aggregation service, run the aggregation service themselves, get the data out, et cetera. Um, to me, the most natural vendors to do that who are already positioned right in the flow of all the data are MMPs. Um, essentially, we're already there with the SDK to probably activate the privacy sandbox, to control the conversion value for the event level reports, um, to do all the other necessary uh, infrastructure, um, whether it is showing the reports and, and calculating ROI and aggregating spend and all this stuff. So to me, it's very, very natural for MPs to just do that because that's kind of their job. Um, you know, in a way, um, I, was, I was just talking to somebody about that. It's funny. If you think about the set of use cases that app marketers need today that MMP solve, then, you know, you'll need like data aggregation and reporting and fraud prevention and something that works on iOS and something that works on Android and deep linking and million <laughs> solutions. And it just so happens that there's providers that do all of that and that's what the MMPs do. So whether mm -hmm. the name ever changes, I don't know. I still think MMP is fitting. Maybe it's no longer the Facebook uh, program that gave us the name, but it basically means mobile measurement. So there will be a software platform that does all of that. Um, and aggregatable reports will just be part of it. Um, and e even there, you know, you need to control the breakdowns that you do or the it's called aggregation keys. So um, I think it's a very, very obvious natural path for MMPs to go into and, um, and there's not going to be like separate companies just to run the aggregation servers because there's no money in that. Like basically you need to be paid by the advertiser to do all of it. Like there's no point in just running the server itself. And Google is just going to give out the code to everybody. Uh, so there needs to be some way where, you know, advertisers pay for that somehow. 
yeah, and do you want 15 different vendors that you have to manage and send the data here and then send the data there and then, you know, manage that all at rest and in transit and all that other stuff? And Yuka, you are very most welcome. If others have questions, now's a great time to answer them. Yuka, you're a scary looking dude. I mean, like, look at that could be the Terminator right there. I do not want to meet you in a dark alley, but <laughs> good, good for the question. Excellent. Let's talk about ATT, not in the sense of what Apple has created here. Uh, and their program, but the sense of app tracking transparency, small letters, no capitals. ATT is about user consent. It's about asking the user what they want to do, what they want to have happen. That's a very defined scope of that consent. It's sharing it to other apps and, and, and companies, right? But it is asking the user. There isn't really a concept of user consent in Privacy Sandbox for Android. There is the concept of topics that I can see topics that Google is, 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 is saying, hey, maybe you're interested in that. Or maybe I just say the device is saying that maybe you're interested in that. I can see those and actually I can even edit those is what Google's telling us right now. So that's a, a, a degree of control over the advertising that I get. But talk about this idea of consent and, and, and tracking, in, how it's different in Android as we see it coming. Yeah, um, I think I think this is a really interesting point, and you know, one that you need to think about it a bit. And once you digest the privacy sandbox, you start asking yourself, okay, what use cases will change and what wouldn't change. And the fact that there wasn't any explicit definition or any um, guidelines to what tracking is and what forms of tracking needs to happen or doesn't need to happen is is very interesting. And so maybe a very a simple example might clarify. So if I have uh, an SDK or if I'm an app developer in iOS and the user gives me their email and then I want to use that email to retarget them or send the data to Facebook or something, I'm, technically I'm required to ask for consent. Mm -hmm. And you know, Apple might not have a great way of policing that because you know you enter your email, you sign up to a service, but essentially you you need to ask for consent. So what Apple did is they started this entire change from we're gonna govern how tracking is being done anywhere and everywhere, right? And if you're not giving your consent, the company's not supposed to track you. Now there's an entire debate of what happens behind the scenes and, you know, companies could still fingerprint and, you know, Apple is trying to solve that, et cetera, but that's a separate discussion. Um, it seems like in Google, this was not defined at all. And technically, you know, if I'm, let's take a simple example, let's take the Facebook SDK, even if it runs in this sandbox, which we're going to talk about maybe in a second, they propose this concept where SDK is running in isolation, isolated environment. Um, if I do a Facebook login, on my game, right? Let's say I have a game and I do a Facebook login. Then at some point, Facebook, when they when the Facebook SDK authenticates with Facebook, they know this is Gotti, this is Facebook ID, etc. Um, are they allowed to use that information information they've just learned about me by me doing a Facebook login in a game? In iOS, based on my understanding at least, it's not allowed. And I think Facebook even made changes to their SDK where you could tell them, hey, don't learn about this user or anything, please. Like, we're not supposed to. But it seems like Google didn't define that, which is very interesting. So 
G removing GID is going to solve a lot of things and remove a lot of like device graphs and all sorts of weird data collection schemes and stuff like that. But but it might still give power to those who have a lot of distribution. Um, and you know, if like everybody does Facebook login, um, maybe it still means that data stream still goes into Facebook, which gives them an advantage, right? So that is interesting. Um, if if mm -hmm. tends to do that, and that's just one implication, right? I chose the Facebook SDK because it's the most common and and very basic use case, right? We understand they get a lot of information from these SDKs. Um, it stopped being the case after ATT in iOS, but it's not clear it's going to stop with with Google. You mentioned earlier uh, about Google Refer. It's a really interesting use case where it kind of follows the ethos of the web, which we've been decades in engaged in, right? Which is, hey, when you click a link, the place that you go to knows where you came from. And that can be very useful. Um, you know what context somebody might be in. Maybe you have some clue about geography. Maybe you have some clue about language. There's other parameters for that as well, of course. But that is currently the case on Android. We haven't seen any notification about that. In fact, Facebook just built Google Refer into what it part of what it uses for attribution of app install ads uh, via Android. What's your thoughts there? What are you thinking? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, it's one of the first things that came to mind when we discussed um, the implications of removing GID earlier, or even in the company. Um, we always thought that in Android, it's not going to be as bad as iOS because you have the referral mechanism. And so we already use it quite a bit today. Um, it's the best source of attribution. It shows you who drove the user to the source, uh, to the store. Uh, it's a pretty good mechanism, and you use it for a lot of legit use cases, right? Like you pass information about the deep link of the user, or the deferred deep link, right? Like if I want to send you a $5 discount to Lyft, and you click on that, and you go to the Play Store, that coupon that I transmitted to you gets passed on as a refer, and eventually gets to the Lyft app and their SDK or RSDK, whatever. Um, I haven't seen any mentions of that at all, but... This morning, when I was kind of rereading the SDK runtime stuff, I did see they specifically called out that this would be a permission that the SDK could ask for. And it's interesting. They even, yeah, I can send you a link if you want to share it. Um, let me see if I could send you the link. Can I put it in the chat here? Did you get it? Yes, you can. Yeah, so maybe go, go to that and we'll, we can read it together here. Let me know if you if, if it's working. Yep, it's coming up. Just keep talking. Okay, so basically, it seems like they recognize this. There's this permission to. It's called get install referrer service, um, which is basically your ability to use the Google Play install referrer API to attribute the source of an app's installation. So it seems like they and it's interesting. It wasn't part of the attribution reporting mechanism. Right? It's not addressed there at all, but it seems like it's recognized here as a permission in an SDK. This is like an isolated SDK in the SDK runtime could ask for. And they mm -hmm. even call it out. They, they literally call out the use case, right? They say to attribute the source of an app's installation. And there's a lot of legitimate use cases for this, right? And this doesn't solve all measurement needs, right? You don't have view through with this, right? It needs to be someone that 
drove a click that drove someone to the Play Store. But it is interesting. It's been mentioned, right? So this one is unclear. I will tell you that if if it still exists, the day you know, two years from now, which I suspect very might well be, um, then it will be a great source of information. Um, and and then you know you'll kind of have two views. You'll have the attribution reporting tools from Privacy Sandbox giving you one view. You'll have this as another view. Um, but you know, I'm 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 not sure if they're going to keep it because I can also think of scenarios where this might be good enough for people to just keep relying on it, right? So so it's 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 a good question. Um, to me, it's still an open question. Yep, there are going to be plenty of those. One of those is the SDK runtime, and that's fascinating to me. It really is because we have seen cases in the past where SDKs have overstepped their bounds. Uh, there's the obvious case of gathering every little minute scrap of information they can possibly get about the device, battery level, <laughs> other things like that, that you're probably not related to something that the average user is okay with. We've also seen SDKs that are essentially spying on other SDKs and looking at what they're doing and what ads they might be serving and what auctions they might be participating in and other stuff like that, right? So there's lots of challenges with SDKs and Google's kind of said, hey, <laughs> um, you know, go to your room. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna put a container together. And you're all going to play that in that. And we're going to send information in and we're going to take information out. And there'll probably be some kind of uh, verification, validation of what goes in and out and all that stuff. Talk about what the SDK runtime means to you. Yeah, I think it's uh, there's a lot to unpack there with the SDK runtime. You know, this reminds me when when Google first released Google Chrome, uh, back in, I think it was 2008. So that's like ancient now. Um, <laughs> you know, call to fame um, was that each of your browser tabs is basically a separate process. And that was like an isolation concept that said, hey, you know, one, one tab shouldn't crash other tabs or shouldn't really contaminate if there's an exploit it shouldn't impact right so if i go to this really shady website and it runs an exploit on my browser it doesn't traverse to my other tab where it's my bank account and steals all my money right and 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 that was you know these mechanisms existed in operating system for years and another example is like in servers when you run it's called dockers or containers. You can run different services as isolated environments. So this existed in operating systems. And it's a very cool idea that they brought here for app development. And this has honestly nothing to do with advertising or marketing or retargeting, whatever. But it seems like they found is it, it's almost like a, it's related enough where they bundled that into the privacy sandbox. But it's an amazing technology on its own. And basically what they said is, we're going to separate the SDKs to run in a separate process. And for those who are not system engineers, the process is basically a program that runs in your computer. And up until now, let's say you open your Snapchat app in your, in your phone, that is a program. And all the SDKs share the same memory space. Um, as the Snapchat app, right, in this example. So they said, okay, well, let's not do it. Let's separate that 
So there's separate processes and the SDK cannot contaminate what the app is doing and, and vice versa. It also means different SDKs can't contaminate each other. So we've seen that case, I think it was a year ago or two, where there was this very nifty SDK that was changing how other SDKs were doing things to benefit that particular SDKs financially, right? So you've seen, I mean, of a lot of exploits like that. So this is a very clever mechanism to separate out SDKs. And it comes with advantages and restrictions. So the advantages are that it would be easier, or at least that's what they say, to upgrade SDKs without having to upgrade the app or to, to upload a new app to the Play Store, which is amazing for SDK developers like us because sometimes, let's say there's, you know, we found a bug or there's a new feature we want to release and, and, it, and it improves the service, but it doesn't mean that the developer needs to treat the SDK differently. It's just a fix we made in our code. We could then deploy that without talking to the developers. That's pretty amazing. Um, the restrictions, and that's why it's part of the privacy sandbox, is that they could say, um, hey, now that it's a separate process, this SDK can have less permissions than the app. So maybe the app can access my photos and my location, but your SDK doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this opens up you know, a massive change. I mean, less in a way, less for us because we've always been kind of first party based, but there's a lot of SDKs that collect location, for example, right? That's actually a service mm -hmm. data. So suddenly they need to have a specific permission for a location on that SDK. Um, and so that has a lot of implications. And I guess more specifically, they what they're saying is, um, even if it takes two years to deprecate GID, we could still put SDKs in a sandbox where they can't access GID. Even if the app can, they can't, right? So there might be some immediate restrictions like that. What is interesting though, is they didn't say it's a must. And they also addressed the fact that some SDKs don't have to be in the sandbox, right? They said, they call it runtime enabled. So you can mm -hmm. live inside the app, still in the memory space. So I guess what's not clear is what would be a forcing function for developers to even push SDKs outside of their app, right? Like what would be the, mm -hmm. is it something that SDK developers would push? Is it the app review team at Google, which I'm not even sure it's reviewing every app, right? Like what would be the mechanism that will push people to the SDK runtime? That still remains a question, but yeah, but it's a pretty cool step. It's a technical solution to, uh, you know, isolation of permissions and it, it makes sense. Yep. So we're going to start wrapping up shortly and I'm going to ask you about the future of measurement as we enter this more complex reality. We do have one other question here that might make some sense to ask here, which is what are your opinions about the privacy threshold to prevent any way of identifying a unique user from Niazi? Yeah, it's, I think it's a great question and it's actually still an area that's a bit unclear to me. So, for example, in the in the event level reports, you only got those three bits. So you could claim that's not enough to represent a user. But the fact that you can you have like I think sixty four bits to represent the campaign, the creative, etc. It's so granular that you could at least leak who the user was that made the click on the on the on the publisher side. So that is that remains a question. Like, would would that just work as is, or would they, st they basically mention they're going to add some noise to it and some false data? So that's a bit unclear. But you could say the event level mechanism is so limited on the 
uh, user identification side, three bits is not enough, where that is going to be okay. Um, the aggregatable reports is a question, though, because you as the advertiser also can add further breakdowns. And together with Ed Network, you have like 188 bits to represent breakdowns. So let's say I'm just saying Ed Network got 64 bits, we got 64 bits. I don't see what how, what would stop the advertiser from leaking the user ID in that aggregatable report. My guess is that when that aggregation service does the aggregation, if it finds that you use too many breakdowns, it's just going to either mess your data or do something to it. So I, I'm sure they're going to add a mechanism to make sure you don't make the aggregation so granular that it's essentially user level, because then the, the point of aggregation is useless. So, uh, but it's a, it's a TBD. That's a great question. And, and it's unclear from the doc just yet. Good question. Okay. So to kind of start summing up, um, there's a lot to like here from a marketer's point of view, as well as a consumer app user's point of view, there's going to be a lot more privacy. There's going to be a lot more safety. And from the industry perspective, there's a lot of time. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of, uh, to, to get ready for this, to provide input and Google's asking for that input, uh, explicitly and taking that input in multiple different ways. And there's a lot of capability as you talked about, um, plus additional chances, two years to add, refine all that stuff. Might even see Apple taking a few hints here or there. We will see, uh, talk about the future of measurement. Uh, it's getting much more complex than it's ever been, right? Um, we, it used to be super simple. <laughs> you had IDFA, you had Google Ad ID, and boom, there you go, done, right? Get an MMP, done. You know where your traffic's coming from. You know where your users are coming from. Not quite so simple anymore. What does the future of measurement look like for you on mobile? Yeah, I think it's... Uh... It's a question we keep asking ourselves a lot as well. And I, you know, I think fundamentally the need hasn't changed, right? So marketers and app developers want to grow their business. They need to acquire users intelligently. And that means that you need to find them, target them, retarget them. But most importantly, or, or equally as important, you've got to measure, you've got to make sure it works. And so um, I think that uh, the need remained the same, but the technology now just, it just becomes more complex. And, one of our feedbacks about Apple's changes is that you kind of need a PhD in your company to just figure out how to do proper measurement and the bigger guys might have better tools than smaller. Um, and I think, you know, this is where platform like us come in. There's just going to be a lot of data sources you need to rely on in the future, right? So you got IDFA or partial IDFA, you got GAID, which will eventually go away. So you have all these signals from privacy sandbox. And even there, you got two signals now, you got this, event level and the aggregatable report, you got to figure out how you use both. You might have the refer mechanism and you still got SKA network. So now trying to kind of compare apples to apples is going to be hard. And you got all the cost data and the in-app data. So there's just a ton of data sources. And on top of it, you know, there's always the question of um, when do you start approaching other measurement methods like incrementality, media mix modeling, et cetera. And, you know, I still feel like this, so much to do on these deterministic signals that we got to make sure we extract the most amount of value. But I think the future will involve a lot of data sources. And unfortunately, it's not going to be simpler. And I'm already seeing it today, like really big companies are finding it not that easy to, to transform into that way of thinking of SKA network. So that's going to be a big change. The other thing is, 
which is kind of cool for developers or sorry, it's kind of cool for maybe my developers is the fact that um, you need to become much better at, at AI and data science. There's a lot more data modeling now that we do. So for example, just SK network alone, you know, caused um, an entire roadmap in my company for advanced modeling and LTV prediction and trying to make SK network useful. And I already see the same things with, Google solution, even though it's much stronger, that event level report, you'll need more sophistication there. Like what events do you choose? How do you encode these three bits intelligently? Or even in the aggregatable reports, how do you build the ultimate breakdowns? There's probably gonna be a trade-off between too many breakdowns, then you don't get data at all, too little breakdowns and you know it's not useful, right? So you need to find the middle ground. So there's gonna be a lot of modeling and uh, more sophisticated data uh, analysis, which is, which is cool. Um, and that's kind of the good news for the industry. Like you said, it's not simple. It's not getting simpler. Your job <laughs> is to make it simple, right? So that somebody can simply do their job of marketing, get the results, be able to trust the results, make decisions based on those results and continue to grow. Cool. So we're going to wrap up here. Gotti, I want to thank you for your time. It's been really amazing. It's been great to dig into this. There's going to be a ton more. Singular is going to be posting. Gotti's going to be posting. There are webinars coming. There's all kinds of other stuff. Um, check out the website singular.net uh, there's the resource section there's the blog and there's going to be webinars coming and going all the time